0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America, NA member FDIC. Hi, everyone. It's Gabriella here joining you on this rainy Monday, August 24th, to deliver episode 99 for you. Today's guest is Jeff Angers from the Center for Sport Fishing Policy. But before we dip into my fun chat with him, I want to make two quick housekeeping notes for you all. You'll hear Jeff talk at length about AB 3030, which is the bill in California that I previously talked about with Ellery Tucker-Williams and Avin Klein from the Congressional Sportsman's Foundation. And prior to Jeff and I recording, or I should say after Jeff and I recorded this episode last week, the Senate committee specifically handling these issues, the natural resources issues in California, actually suspended the bill. So you'll hear a conversation that happened before the bill uh, was defeated, but it's still important to be aware of this and the implications that can come from this because AB 3030's language is also found in the Democrat Party platform, and that's pretty concerning and The girls previously talked about this, about how it could travel and be heard in different states, so this fight is not over, and Jeff stressed that as well. And if you're a Democrat listening, you need to tell your party leaders to reconsider the language in their platform about AB 3030. And also, unrelated to the interview, but an insertion of an important update, the Department of Interior actually unveiled the largest ever expansion of public lands, fishing and hunting access when Secretary Bernhardt was in Saginaw, Michigan last week. I forget if it was Saginaw, but it was somewhere in Michigan. And I'm going to include that update for you guys to read. We're going to go back to monologues after I return from vacation coming up soon, but and from these interviews, but that's important for you guys to know. It'll be in the show notes if you're curious to see the acreage, what it affects, if there's going to be any national hatcheries expansion as well. So check that out in the show notes as well. But a little bit on Jeff. Jeff is the president of Center for Sport Fishing Policy, a nonprofit organization that works to maximize opportunity for saltwater recreational anglers by organizing, focusing and engaging recreational fishing stakeholders to speak with one voice to shape federal marine fisheries management policy. Jeff serves on a number of boards and executive committees, including the Sport Fishing and Boating Partnership Council, the American Sport Fishing Association Government Affairs Committee, and Coastal Conservation Association Government Affairs Committee. Over the last 30 years, Jeff has managed congressional campaigns, lobbied legislative bodies, and written conservation policy. He's been fundraiser, advocate, and spokesman. Prior to his role as founding president of the center, Jeff served 15 years as CEO of the Coastal Conservation Association of Louisiana, As an LSU graduate, he led successful battles to outlaw indiscriminate fishing gear and to protect redfish with game fish status. And a little backgrounder on the Center for Sport Fishing policy, CSP brings under a single umbrella the leading advocates for marine recreational fishing and boating to promote good stewardship of our nation's marine resources with the broad ability to pursue a more direct political strategy. Among its major accomplishments, CSP spearheaded the passage of the Modern Fish Act, which was signed into law by President Trump in December 20. Eighteen, CSP also played a role in transferring management authority of Gulf of Mexico red snapper from the Gulf council to the five Gulf states. CSP secured executive orders signed by president Bush in 2007, protecting redfish and striped bass as federal game fish. And in 2008, protecting recreational fishing on all federal lands and waters. If you want to learn more about the organization, I highly encourage you to check the show notes, but Jeff and I, discussed a broad swath of issues, namely AB 3030, to descending devices, to the Modern Fish Act, and the importance of recreational anglers, especially saltwater anglers, in this nation and their economic footprint. Here is my full-length conversation with Jeff Angers of the Center for Sport Fishing Policy. Enjoy. On this episode of District of Conservation, we are speaking with Jeff Angers, president of the Center for Sport Fishing Policy which is the leading voice for recreational anglers across the United States. Jeff, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast to share what is trending in policy related to recreational fishing.
1: Surely happy to join. Thanks for having me.
0: Of course. Why don't you talk about some issues that are percolating and uh, just a brief overview of trends that people should be aware of. We've seen across the outdoor industry that recreational fishing is on the Increase and you were talking pre-recording that saltwater recreational fishing is also on the rise. So talk about the importance of recreational fishing before we dip into kind of the issues that are uh, dominating public policy.
1: Sure, sure. Well, thanks, thanks very much. You know, uh, the, the the first thing that I'll I'll hit from a, from the macro level is the fact that outdoor recreation accounts for two point two percent of U.S. GDP. That's a big number. Um, And recreational fishing and boating make up the largest part of that output. In America's saltwater spaces, there are about 10 million licensed anglers that support about a half a million jobs annually and uh, contribute about $75 billion in Uh, in in sales impacts. Those are really big numbers and I think that it's been really important the focus that this administration has given on ensuring access to America's public resources because recreational fishing focuses on access. Access to fish, access to water, and access to time Um, and this administration has fostered all of those points. Um, one other point that I'd like to make, I think it's, is, uh, is really important. The, uh, the recreational boating industry in America is a uniquely American business. 95% of all the boats on the water today are built in the U.S. Um, you know, recreational fishing boats don't transport well on container ships from China. They're meant to float in the water and to do something fun in the water. Um, and so we buy our boats from, from boat manufacturers um, in the U.S., uh, and it is a great success story for U.S. manufacturing and, and something that this administration has really fostered.
0: Yeah, I've noticed a lot of trends. And for me, I don't know so much about the boating side, but I've learned a lot having gone to a Yamaha outboards event Last year, but it's becoming a lot more pedestrian and accessible for people because it used to be associated boating, especially with the very wealthy contingent in the United States. But you see a lot of people starting to do boating. But recreational fishing, as we have all observed, is actually on the incline in this country. Um, Even while hunting is lagging a little bit, there's still uh, a little bit of significant growth with fishing just because there are fewer barriers to entry. It's not as costly um, and just other factors related to that, but fishing definitely is something that people have been doing. Have you observed uh, from the organizational side more people expressing an interest in fishing because a lot of states' agencies have said that there's a huge surge of license purchases and more interest to go fishing. Have you seen that as well in your corner and also in kind of yeah. your dealings?
1: Yes, so um, so not only have all the states reported increases in license sales. Um, for for uh, for basic freshwater fishing, but also for 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 saltwater fishing, and in terms of sales of boats, motors, tackle, um, etc. Um, if you can use a widget in the outdoors, it's flying off the shelf because Americans have been you know largely stuck in their homes. For most of the last six months and they've been looking for things that they can do with their families and the most logical thing that you can do with your family is get outdoors and frankly um, take them fishing jump on a boat do something with them in, in the outdoors it 's been difficult to find some of the some of the important widgets as I call them, that you can use use in the outdoors um, but I think that tackle manufacturers and boat manufacturers are today operating at full capacity they 're trying to fill the shelves in the bass pro shops of the world um, as well as the small um, the small uh, the, the small mom and pop bait and tackle shops um, and it is making a difference this is one of the um, uh, really kind of shining spots uh, in the economy in the early days of COVID and ever since, um, just because of the, uh, just because people were looking to do something great in the outdoors.
0: Absolutely, and I think one issue we can begin with. I think would strip uh, boaters and anglers of being able to replenish the funding related to conservation, I think would be California's AB 3030, which I talked about with Avian Klein and Ellery Tucker Williams of Congressional Sportsman Foundation. And you guys have been really sounding the alarm on this because it isn't just going to Happen in California, although California is the petri dish from which a lot of experimental policies spread their tentacles across the country. But uh, your organization has sounded the alarm on this, and why should anglers and voters and even other conservationists be concerned about it?
1: Well, so let me start at the beginning about uh, this. This this thirty thirty. So the um, um, the, uh, the 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 catchphrase is thirty by thirty, and what it means is a uh, a focus to protect thirty percent of uh, of the world's lands and waters by the year twenty thirty so over the course of the next ten years a lot of folks in the ENGO community want to protect thirty um, percent of our lands and waters that may sound like a laudable goal Gabriella, but you and I both know that there is a fascinating and constructive matrix of opportunities where government has set up conservation easements and marine protected areas and marine sanctuaries and uh, and national parks that already um make America the leader in conservation um and The uh, this this whole 30 by 30 uh, initiative, which, by the way, when it was first being rolled out, the initial news release um, news story on it had one of its uh, advocates say, that's not really our goal. He said our goal is, uh," I'm paraphrasing, 50 by 2050, that 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 he wanted to protect 50 percent of the world by the year 2050. The challenge here is, uh, is, is, is as often the case, the challenge is in the details. What does the word protect mean? You know, we have some of the finest fishery management, um, in the entire world. Um, there is not in, uh, th- there's not that comes to mind today, a single fishery managed by any of the 50 states that is categorized as overfished. Uh, The number of fisheries in the saltwater reaches of our country that are overfished have been declining uh, steadily over the last decades. What is an additional layer of protection going to mean? Um, Well, in the California legislature, the bill was filed um, as what they call an aspirational goal. Um, They failed to define the word protect in their piece of legislation, um, and they refuse to define the word "protect," um, and that's a real challenge. Um, when, when a, when any legislature won't be clear about what it desires, uh, if a bill passes, they give unlimited authority to a nameless, faceless bureaucrat. At a state agency or the federal government to implement this aspirational goal—that's a real problem. That's not the way our system is supposed to work. This bill that's moving through the California legislature passed um, passed the, um, the the Senate Natural Resources Committee uh, on August nineteenth. It moved through their fiscal committee uh, August um, August. Uh, excuse me, the Natural Resources uh, the twelfth. Uh, um, Than the fiscal committee on the nineteenth, um, and it is uh, steaming toward floor action. Um, the, uh, the The California legislature needs to adjourn uh, by the thirty first of August. But I would encourage your listeners to engage, to be on social media, and look for the hashtag uh, hashtag AB thirty thirty. You'll see uh, you'll see arguments for the bill and against the bill. Read those arguments and you decide for yourself. Um, do you think that the system that has really made, made California a leader in, uh, in conservation needs to be supplemented with an additional layer of protection that no one is gonna define? I don't think it's a good idea.
0: Yeah, and you were mentioning that this has even been discussed and talked about at length, even nationally, you said in the halls of Congress and even including in the DNC platform that should be pretty cause for, alarm for conservations across the political, conservationists, excuse me, across the political spectrum.
1: Yes, well, you know, when uh, when the Great American Outdoors Act passed, um, uh, passed a few weeks ago, um, um, everyone lauded the passage of the bill. Speaker Pelosi um, um, gave it a thumbs up, but noted that the real goal um, was uh, was to make the vision of thirty by twenty thirty a reality in all fifty states across the country um, you know I'm all for doing the right thing for um for for um for, for for the outdoors. My dad's mantra with me was always leave it better than you found it i think I think that's what we all teach our kids, but I think what's forgotten in this discussion, Gabriella really anglers and boaters are America's original environmentalists. You know, we're the guys who pay the license fees, we pay the excise taxes, um, and we are the largest contributor to state fish and wildlife management um, in, all, in all 50 states. Um, through our involvement um, through our engagement in the outdoors, we've shown that we care not just because we've been out outdoors for generations with our kids, but we've been paying the freight for conservation and management for generations. And the sense that uh, that you, that some advocacy group is going to come in and 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 say that uh, that different states or different countries haven't been doing enough. That may be the case across the world in some of the poorly managed fisheries um, in Southeast Asia, but I don't think that's the case in the United States.
0: Yeah, and you said, and I I think it's pretty obvious that um, this will actually impact California's economy uh, very greatly with, I think uh, it would be a loss of maybe $2.4 billion, because that's how much sport fishing contributes uh, to that economy. And I think this is where the conversation in whether or not you advance conservation versus preservation kind of rings true, because a lot of these people are taking the conservation mantle and they're actually pushing uh, preservationist policies that actually push out people who contribute, who recreate, who make their livelihood potentially off of uh, recreational sport fishing. And I think we're going to have that conversation again across fishing, hunting, hiking, etc., Uh, Because we we see a lot of people trying to kind of undermine what true conservation is with these really restrictionist preservationist things that take out the stakeholders from the conversation.
1: Right. And, 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 and really um, what I think your listeners um, should know is um, that this, that this legislative action in California is the tip of the iceberg Um, pieces of uh, this piece of legislation or a version of it is gonna appear in all 50 states. Uh, there's gonna be a push by someone uh, to, and I'll use, use air quotes, protect 30 or 40 or 50% of their state. And uh, I would caution you to pay attention and ask the author what he or she means by protect because that matters. Um, your state government, in a lot of cases, your federal government is already doing a really good job um, managing and conser- and conserving land and water and to overlay an additional feel good um, proposition here that is ambiguous and uh, and hands to bureaucrats a, a really a blank check. Mm -hmm. Um, That's really dangerous. And it's really not what the North American system of conservation funding was based on.
0: Yeah, I'm going to definitely sound the alarm in my column and I'm going to talk more at length about it, maybe make a video or something, because I have no doubt they would try this in Virginia, (laughs) which is actually a very... Uh, economically dependent economy for fishing, I have to see what our economic input is. But if they did that in Virginia, it was already depressed, uh, the fishing industry here with, with COVID shutdowns. I can't imagine what it would do uh, if something like this were to be implemented. But I'll keep uh, t- tabs on this on my state legislature too, because I have no doubt they would experiment with this as well. And that would really hurt um, all Virginians who, who recreate and who partake in this from a business standpoint. Yes, ma'am. I wanted to ask about an update on the Modern Fish Act enforcement. I had actually brought on Alan Luck from the American Sport Fishing Association as one of my early guests, and this was at the time right before President Trump had signed the Modern Fish Act into law on December 31st, 2018. What has been transpiring since then? Because I know enforcement is a big concern and issue for the the Center for Sport Fishing Policy, but can you give us an update as to where the law is in its current standing is it being properly Im- implemented um, are there still obstacles to enforcement
1: well um yes um, yes and yes is the short answer you know the um the the, the modern fish Act was the culmination of a vision that was uh, that was that was brought to us by the by the recreational uh, fishing community um Bass Pro Shops founder Johnny Morris and Maverick Boats President Scott Deal teamed up um, on the Morris Deal Commission uh, about eight years ago and set forth uh, what, what we called the Morris Deal Report. It was a vision for managing America's saltwater recreational fisheries. Um, it, was a, uh, it was our document to tell Congress what we were for. Um, not that we were against this this minor regulation or that we weren't happy with the results of thus and such, but that there were specific things that we were for. And it took several years to get Congress to buy into the vision and ultimately to pass it. Um, senator Roger Wicker, the chairman of the Senate Commerce Committee and the senior senator from Mississippi, um, um, carried the bill in the Senate. Um, and my congressman in Baton Rouge, um, Garrett Graves, carried the bill in the House, and it did pass um, in in uh, late twenty eighteen um, and After the president signed it, the government immediately went into a shutdown. I'm sure many of you remember um, the, the the shutdown of early twenty nineteen um, but but soon after they came back, um, it was clear that that with any law. Um, with any change that uh, that we had to be on top of what the bureaucracy was doing with the law and that we had to be gauging their success in implementing the letter of the law and hopefully the spirit of the law. So we um, so we focused on a progress report that could objectively tell our constituents and the government how we thought it was going. And we com- and, and and we recruited all the experts to help to to analyze to make sure that the major points of modern fish were being implemented as intended. There is a link, I will say, to the current uh, modern fish progress report on our website, which is sportfishingpolicy.com. dot com. That's sportfishingpolicy.com. dot com, and and it's on our um, it's on our homepage currently. Um, of the five major provisions of the Modern Fish Act, um, the uh, the federal government gets one green, um, um, gets one gets two greens, two yellows, and one red, um, and um, and all the details are in that report. Um, but I think you know, Gabby, that uh, that that passing a law through Congress is not just about getting it across the finish line in the Congress, not just about getting the president to sign it, but getting it implemented and enforced properly. And the way that we've gone about uh, constructively monitoring the progress and having a good dialogue with the w- with the different agencies that monitor what they're doing, we feel like um, is, is getting the best results for, for recreational fishermen all over the country.
0: Yeah, I think I think largely the bill came to fruition and my understanding of it from kind of a layman's perspective was that uh, recreational fishermen were kind of shut out of fisheries management uh, consultation. And I know it stemmed back to the snapper issue, the um, different fisheries councils being left out um, pre-2016 and I think the bill was kind of seen as giving a, a voice, a greater uh, input from recreational anglers, too, as well.
1: Yes, and and you know, um, um, thank you for thank you for for returning to that. You know, for the, for the most part, um, um, for the last forty plus years, um, uh, America's saltwater fisheries have been managed with a focus on the commercial fishery. They've been managed with a focus. On the Pacific Northwest and the North Pacific, um, the original um, laws that relate to governing our uh, our fisheries and our oceans were literally written by the senators from Alaska and the state of Washington, and uh, and they wrote some pretty amazing laws. Um, and at the time, forty something years ago, uh, saltwater recreational fishing in the Southeast, where I live, was not was was really an afterthought. Um, And as recreational fishing grew, um, you know, most of most recreation, most outdoor recreation in the ocean occurs um, in the southeast. And, you know, when you think about the difference between a commercial fisherman who tries to catch a lot of fish as efficiently as possible and land them at a single port um, and sell them, that's a very different endeavor from millions of Americans who are recreational fishermen who are going fishing with their families with single hooks in the Lord's vast ocean um, and trying to catch a fish or two to take home. It's a very, these are two very different activities and we always felt that they needed to be managed differently with different tools and the federal government was was really never able to uh, was was never able to to accomplish that uh, before, but with the Modern Fish Act, we think that they're moving in the right direction. So, uh, so a special thanks to Senator Wicker, uh, to Congressman Graves, um, and the and the bipartisan leadership of uh, of both houses that pulled that across the finish line last Congress.
0: Yeah, it was one of the few truly good bipartisan stuff because we always have to distinguish between good and bad bipartisan stuff. But that was one of the few bipartisan gestures that actually benefited most Americans, I would say. Why don't you talk about um, descending devices? So I've loosely heard this. And for me, I don't really partake in this that much, but I've heard this discussed at length. And this is related to um, snapper conservation and the Descend Act of 2019. So talk about this and why you guys are prioritizing this in... The South Atlantic and in the Gulf Coast? I think people would be curious to learn about it.
1: Well, and, you know, um, this is a really, uh, this is a really fascinating topic. Um, you know, um, um, in the South Atlantic and the Gulf, um, um, one of the most popular fisheries in both, in, in, in both regions is the red snapper fishery. Mm-hmm. Um, snapper are part of a large complex of of, of fish called the snapper grouper complex. you know these fish all really s- swim together um, uh, they um, they have different different spots in the food chain but but snappers and groupers um, live together in the deeper reaches of America's oceans um, and um, and there have been a lot of management challenges. Um, largely due to commercial overfishing of both uh uh, of of red snapper one of the most popular species in both gulf uh, and atlantic um and, and also due to uh due to shrimp trawls um catching lots of juvenile uh red snapper in their trawls um largely the challenges from the shrimp fishery are behind us and as a uh And as a result of that, the red snapper population in the last 10, 15 years has largely begun to explode in both regions. Um, No matter where you are, if you are catching a fish in deep water greater than 30 or 50 feet, um, and largely you catch red snapper um, between 100 and 180 feet, um, whenever you reel uh, reel a red snapper up, Um, because you're reeling them up from the deep, um, they may have some physical um, barotrauma. It's it's kind of akin to what people who are scuba divers would consider the bends. Mm. Um, The way the gases in your body need to reacclimate as you go to the surface, the same thing is true for fish. When you reel a fish up to the top from 150 feet down, there may be barotrauma to the fish. Now, we have very short seasons in the South Atlantic for the taking of South Atlantic Red Snapper. Um, And we... um, um, And... We have recognized that uh, that that discard mortality has been a big problem when you catch a South Atlantic red snapper and you reel it to the surface and you can 't keep it because the season is closed or it's the wrong size, or it's outside of your bag limit, you're required by law to return it to the water. But the problem is that if you just toss it back in the water due to barotrauma, that fish may float for a time and get eaten by a shark pretty quickly. Um, but if the if the fish is struggling to swim back down, it has a much uh, lower chance of survival. The way to give the the fish a chance to live is uh, is to attach a descending device to it, which can simply be a weighted hook or a lip clamp, and you and you drop the fish back down in the water to roughly the same depth at which you caught it, and the barotrauma reverses itself. And about 80% of the time, that fish swims away. Now, that's the responsible thing to do when you know you're going to want to take your kids out to that same spot in the future. You want the fish that you can't keep today to be available for you to perhaps catch another day. Um, So these descending devices have really been talked about a lot by our partners at uh, the American Sport Fishing Association through their project Fish Smart, and our friends at the Coastal Conservation Association through their program Release Sense. Um, And the focus is to encourage people to be using, uh, to be using descending devices whenever and wherever they can. In the South Atlantic, about a month ago, Secretary Wilbur Ross put into effect a descending device rule that requires everyone fishing in the snapper grouper fishery in the South Atlantic to have on board a descending device uh, so that they can use it if they choose. Now, I don't know about you, but whenever my kids are on the boat and they see a new gadget, they're dying to know how it works. And of course, grownups like teaching kids how new gadgets work. And what a great message for us to be sending kids We can't keep this fish today because of rules, regs, and laws, uh, but we want to put it back, give it the best chance of survival so that we can catch it for another day. Really is what our friends in the bass in, in, in bass fishing um, have done for decades, and they have turned around that entire culture. They've just done amazing work, and I'm so proud of our friends at uh, at Bass and everybody else that's been involved in bass conservation for so many decades. We're dealing with a lot deeper water and fish that uh, fish that can you know be subject to challenges, but this is a great way to proceed on it. In the South Atlantic, um, that uh, this descending device rule was accomplished through regulatory action, and ultimately the secretary signed uh, signed this reg that was unanimously passed by the South Atlantic Council. In the Gulf, however, it's going to require an act of Congress due to just some some quirks in interpretation. Um, so I would just commend your listeners to pay attention to the uh, to the Descend Act being authored by. Congressman Garrett Graves and California's Jared Huffman, who's the chairman of the Fisheries Subcommittee, um, because this is a good idea. It, uh, it's something that we want to encourage and foster wherever possible. And special kudos to CCA and, and ASA, who for years uh, have, have been encouraging um, their use, and we're see- and we're starting to see them on on, on boats really all around the country.
0: Very cool to learn. Yeah, I'll keep my eyes on that as well. Um, although I'm not, you know, directly affected by it, but I have no doubt people that I uh, know plenty of people will, will definitely uh, want to see this pass and, and see some some movement on it.
1: We will take you red snapper fishing, Gabriella, so that you can learn how to use your own descending device.
0: Oh, that would be cool. Maybe for my uh, Conservation Nation video series. That would be be great. We can talk about that uh, post-interview too, of course. Uh, But what what else are you guys working on or should my listeners be aware of? Anything else in sport fishing um, that should concern people from the legislative front, um, public policy, or just... General encouragement for people to pay attention to what happens in state legislatures. What what also is happening that people should be aware of?
1: Well, um, you know, um, we are, um, we are, um, we are, um, focused on what's happening in, uh, in all the different state legislatures as relates to this 30 by 2030 initiative, uh, because it really is critical that, uh, that everyone pay attention um, because these are because because bad bills um, can slip through any state legislature in the dark of night. We really want to make sure that uh, that that uh, that that conservationists are paying attention to this, so that we can have the specificity um, that is needed to acknowledge the existing uh, the existing conservation and management policy before any additional overlay is going to come in. Um, to try to accomplish this 20 by 2030, you know, when um, when the Modern Fish Act passed to the Congress um, at the end of the last Congress, uh, there were a couple provisions of the Morris Deal report uh, that really th- th- that didn't make it across the finish line, and they um, and those provisions um, um, those provisions I- include a focus on forage fish. Uh, the fish at the bottom of the food chain. Um, I expect that, uh, that as we come into the next Congress, that we're going to see a modern fish 2.0 so that we can reach back and get uh, get those provisions that might have fallen on the cutting room floor. But I will say um, we've, um, we have focused Gabriella on ensuring um, that marine fisheries um, remains bipartisan. Uh, we are really blessed today um, that we have some visionary members of Congress, really in both chambers, um, who recognize the importance of keeping management and conservation apolitical. Um, and it is really difficult in today's Washington to yep. keep anything apolitical.
0: Right. Um,
1: but it has been very, very helpful to have um, to have some statesmen. Um, on issues that matter to us, uh, like Senator Wicker from Mississippi, like Senator Schatz from, uh, from from Hawaii, um, and so many others who care. Uh, who are focused and who are not going to be dis- distracted um, by uh, by partisan rancor um, and that has really made a difference. That is what got the Great American Outdoors Act across the finish line this Congress and the Modern Fish Act across the finish line last congress my uh, my My sincerest hope is that we uh, is that we continue uh, to to keep uh, to keep keep our eye on the snipe. And, and recognize that keeping fisheries and hunting management apolitical, bipartisan uh, is the only way we're going to keep getting good things done in Washington.
0: I think one of the few gestures that can that can truly do that. I think those are the outdoors should unify people and, and I hope it does too, um, just because it benefits so many people, regardless of where you live, how much you may own, etc. The outdoors really does kind of put you in perspective and make you feel at ease. And I think in the, these crazy times, being outdoors has really kind of brought peace to people, many people, first timers, seasoned anglers, new hunters, seasoned hunters. So yeah, we, I hope Congress can keep that up with that respect, of course.
1: No question. No question.
0: All right, Jeff, where could people learn more about CS, uh, CSP?
1: well so um, so I'll direct you to our to, to our website, which is sportfishingpolicy.com that's sportfishingpolicy.com. Um, you know um, CSP was was founded about fifteen years ago to unite the recreational fishing and boating industry to ensure that we speak with one voice when we're talking on Capitol Hill and in the administration in Washington about. Marine fisheries matters, and it's made a tremendous difference. Um, we've grown, uh, we've we've grown really uh, exponentially, and we continue to grow. And if your listeners are interested in what we do or becoming a member, you can go there or follow us on social media um, at Sportfish Policy. Again, that's at Sportfish Policy on both Twitter and Facebook.
0: Excellent. I will be sure to link everything you've mentioned, ranging from the deals, the topics. Uh, in the link in the show notes, so yeah, my listeners will be covered, and we'll have no trouble finding information to CSP.
1: That sounds terrific, Gabriella. Thank you so much for having me today. I've really enjoyed being with you.
0: Likewise, I hope we can get together again and and talk more at length, and maybe you can show me about these uh, devices for Snapper.
1: <laughs> um, I most I most certainly uh, will do that. A, a year on, we'll we'll uh, we'll we'll plan a trip.
0: Excellent. Thank you, Jeff, for coming. What did you think of our conversation with Jeff? If you're interested in supporting CSP, check out the show notes to find all the links to join as a member, to get involved, and to learn more about their key issues. I also forgot to mention in the introduction some reviews that we have received on the podcast, and I believe this is from my fellow PR specialist, Farron Morgan, and I believe she wrote these comments About the podcast, she said, a pod for women in the outdoors. Always thoughtful and well-researched, this podcast covers topics that matter to outdoor enthusiasts without the usual insistence on government-first solutions. One of the best podcasts in this space, and awesome that it's led by a woman. Thank you, Farron. I really appreciate the kind words. And if you'd like to leave a similar review on the podcast, be sure to go to Apple." and do so. Scroll to the bottom, leave your reviews and thoughts. We've had another one as well, but Apple doesn't clue us in on every single review. So leave those reviews. The more we have, the greater the frequency with which I can read your reviews. Make sure to follow the podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to never miss a beat or a podcast announcement. Tomorrow, I'm going to do a brief podcast episode explaining the significance of us hitting the 100 podcast milestone. And on Wednesday, I'm going to debut my interview with Jenny Anderson of Girl of 10,000 Lakes, and she is a content creator, former journalist, and fellow WSI Sports teammate of mine. So you're going to hear her story, learn more about her as on Wednesday as well. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Find us encourage your friends to check us out and give us their consideration and make sure to download past episodes and encourage others to follow us and download episodes going forward too. Thank you for listening. Check us out and have a great rest of the day.